This episode is sponsored by In the Limelight. As a modern guide for living a greater good, InTheLimelightMedia.com is an online multimedia platform made up of video and radio content and a magazine dedicated to intelligent media for the savvy entrepreneur. It offers a plethora of compelling information and educational subject matter. Visit InTheLimelightMedia.com. On this episode, we have Kai Stube. Kai was born in Germany and has studied and lived in many parts of the globe, including Australia, Chile, China, and the U.S. He represents the true spirit of an entrepreneur, having tried his hand in a number of different arenas, including wellness, fashion, and technology. He has exemplified resilience and gratitude in all he has done, which he attributes for his success and what fuels his continued drive. Kai, it's really great to have you on the show. Thank you for joining us. Thank you. It's great to be here. It's a pleasure. Excellent. Kai, I want you to share with us a little bit about uh, growing up in, uh, in Germany, uh, in the Nea von Köln, uh, in the neighborhood of Cologne, and yes. um, what that, those experiences were like. I mean, I grew up in a small town, right? And it was interesting. Like, I liked that you know a lot of people in the town. You're familiar with a lot of different things. Um, I think what might be the most interesting aspect of growing up in a small town in Germany and then afterwards getting into the big uh, wild wild west world was that here a lot of things are like based on trust like if someone tells you I'm gonna do that like they're gonna do that and with this kind of mindset I went into the wide world and uh, this didn't work out to my advantage several times. So like there was a lot of learning experience. And then after traveling the world for like a decade, a little bit more of a decade, I came back into my small hometown and I've been here the last two years and uh, I'm actually really enjoying it. Like it's, it's, it's good to be back, but there are obviously many things that I'm missing. For sure. Wow. Well, it sounds like we're in store for a bunch of great stories, so I can't wait to dive into those. Um, how old were you when you first played golf? I think it started, like, I started playing golf when I was, like, 11 or 12. And, like, it took me maybe, like, three years where I played a lot of golf to, like, get to a certain kind of level. I played the German championship once. But what really worked in my favor was that it was organized by the states in Germany. So like each state could send a certain amount of people. And I'm in like a very small state. And in my state, there were in like the best golfers in Germany. So that gave me the opportunity to play in the German final. Um, I didn't win that. What is so interesting about golf is take tennis, take soccer, take biking you can say i'm pushing it i'm pushing it i'm pushing it and with pure willpower you can exceed your current like level like with golf it's precisely the opposite as soon as you say no i'm gonna hit it twice as far you're gonna shank it to the right like i promise you that and that's like this mental aspect of the game that's fascinating to me and i think it really teaches you a lot of things about like life and how to compel yourself. I'm so glad you brought that up, Kai, because I was going to ask you, you, over the years that we've known each other, you made a, a really insightful comment to me. You say, you said that golf is the ultimate battle with oneself. Yes, I think that's what it is. 
I love the metaphor for life that you highlighted. That's really telling. And uh, I'm sure that has informed other things that uh, you've done. Um, so I know that you, you started university in Germany, but you also studied in Australia and Chile as well? Yeah, like an undergrad. I started in Germany and I studied abroad in Chile first, in Viña del Mar. It's like one and a half hours away from Santiago. And then I moved to Australia and I studied abroad in Australia. And then I moved to China for like half a year and I did a trainee program at Mercedes-Benz Auto Finance China in Beijing. And then I went back to Germany for nine months to like finish my bachelor degree. And then I moved to the States, to Los Angeles, where we met us in. Yes, absolutely. And I was in 2009. Yep. I won't forget. <laughs> well, you also continued some studies. You were at UCLA and Loyola Marymount. Yeah, I started like at uh, UCLA. It was like an introductory math class for like a master in financial engineering. But then like right away after like the first semester, I started at Loyola Marymount for like an MBA in strategy and finance. And I finished that in 2012. Gotcha. I went and started my first business out of out of business school. Uh, Supper didn't King. go very far. No, that was like Rush 49 with Trueline. The company is still around, and I think they're doing like a decent job. We're like daily deals, right? And like it was the time when like Groupon was getting really big, and we were the first company that was doing it on a mobile base. But as you know or you're aware of, like there's so much money that was like poured into these sites that. Like after a few months, everyone was like mobile and even mobile first. And uh, it, it was difficult to grow then, but I think that they like really found a niche and the company is still around. And like, I haven't seen people working as hard as they do. Mm. Um, I sold my shares like a couple of years later. Um, but yeah, I wish them the best. They're, they're great guys. Nice. nice. So uh, when did you start Supper King? It was also like in, I think it was like in the beginning of 2012. And it was like a funny story. We had an idea. I'll never forget it. Like uh, I just moved into a new apartment building close to the Grove, the Palazzo in Los Angeles. Sure. Um, with a buddy of mine, like a Norwegian guy. And um, truth be told, I'm not gonna, not gonna lie about it. Like we were sitting on the couch and like we were in this massive apartment complex. And we said, okay, there was like a lot of like young people right now. How can we meet all the girls here? <laughs> and basically the idea that we had was like Tinder. And nevertheless, it was like a location-based service. And I went to the library at Loyola Marymount and like uh, met, um, met um, another student there. Like, I mean, we were in the same class and like we just talked and I said, hey, like what's going on? What are you working on? He said on my location-based platform. I said, damn it, tell me more about it. And then like he, he pitched me and it was very interesting. And I said, okay, like. Um, and the concept was, was to bring people together at different locations for a new yes. experience. Yeah. yeah, precisely. Well, and uh, the golf course has been inspiration for a few ideas, uh, including one that uh, you called Pop Molly. Yeah, that, that was funny. Like we were playing golf in Palm Springs and we were playing the 17th hole. Like I'll never forget that like the sky was playing behind us. We were like a twosome and he was on his own and he was obviously playing much faster. And like we said, hey, you wanna like play through? 
And he said, no, guys, like, why don't I play the last two holes with you? We said, okay, that sounds really great. And he was wearing this, like, plastic belt. And he said that he was living in Asia for a long time, and he purchased it there. It was, like, I don't know, $3, and it's very cool. And, like, immediately, like, um, the light bulb went on, and we said, wow, like, that might be a very cool business. We had the sustainability aspect right from the beginning, as they were made out of recycled rubber bought 20,000 belts I'll never forget from China and like we went to magic twice we had a booth that magic what is the biggest fashion convention in the world in Las Vegas it was great like we had great photo shootings we had great content we had like a pretty decent social media we didn't really focus on like selling and like we didn't really like pull through and like we we thought wow this is such an amazing concept and brand and design and we love it so much and just because we love it so much we thought that the whole world is going to love it as much and that didn't work out and like after a while we're just running out of cash and like we didn't have enough cash in the beginning that was like an issue we're completely underfunded and then we had like an investor and he was like with us for two months and he came to Vegas with us and like he, uh, he was going out with us there and like we had a great report and relationship and he said, Hey, like my daughter, she's like the perfect target demographic. And like, I invest a good chunk of money and she can be the next model and so forth. And like coming back to the small hometown, like I believe this guy and mm -hmm. like after two months when like all the credit cards were stripped, like he said, guys, kind of bad news. I don't have the money. Oh, wow. Right? And this is like this naive, blind mindset. And now looking backwards, um, now I can take it with more ease because I say, okay, like this is how I grew up and like nobody taught me to operate in a different way. Yeah. But like back then, and like you're familiar, we're probably going to talk about all the like things that happened afterwards to me. Like it was very tough. I imagine. Yes. Well, it's um, it's a very hard lesson that entrepreneurs learn, and um, yeah, I, I'm sure a lot of entrepreneurs listening can identify with exactly that same situation. I, I have no doubt. <laughs> well. Let's talk about uh, a passion area of yours, and um, this will be a good segue to some of the other things you've done. So I know you're passionate about biohacking, and that term has come to mean a lot of different things to a lot of different people. So Kai, what does biohacking mean for you personally? Biohacking to me is basically upgrading your level of performance. Yeah, or like upgrading your brain, upgrading your energy level, upgrading your focus, let's say like 50 years ago, right? Like if you had proper food, like you felt better. And then like the whole medical drug industry came and there were like a lot of supplements and the testing got better and better. And now all the way up to like uh, DNA testing, like where you can really feel like what works great for me, what doesn't work great for me, like what uh, food really fuels me, what food slows me down, where do I get brain fog from, right? And I think it's a very interesting exploration of yourself. To me, the biohacking term, the way it's used, is like a very physical aspect, mm. right? Yeah. And 
I read about this guy, like he says that he does spirit hacking. So like spirit hacking is like where you have physical part and like the supplements and the testing and the Adderall and modafinil and whatever it is. And then like he combines it with like the right mindset, right? Like how to think. How to think about yourself how to um, show gratitude right what can really propel you to the next level that's really great i'm glad you described those two arenas so i have to ask when did you first biohack and was it a supplement or something physical or was it something spiritual or or mental i mean i started with uh, with the supplements and truth be told i think we're living in a time where everybody wants to get to the same goal faster and with less effort. Mm. And I think that's what biohacking by the end of the day is. Yeah. Right? Like, yes, maybe there are some billionaires in Silicon Valley who say, hey, how can I be even more productive? But I think for like most people, it's just like some kind of laziness. Like, how can I be more efficient and how can I be more effective? And that's basically what brought me to the biohacking. Like, what I learned pretty late in life, unfortunately, is that I'm like slightly sensitive to gluten, to lactose, to like egg white. Um, always had like a, a, a foggy brain, couldn't really concentrate in school. Many times where I was really tired when I had like a lot of bread in the morning, for example, and like two, two glasses of milk. Um, that's how like I started to get into it. I went to South America, I did like a shaman training it was very interesting. It was a phenomenal time, completely excluded from society in the mountains for five weeks. Well, um, that was pretty recent, right? Yeah, it was like end of 2018. Wow, okay. And which country were you in? I was in Chile. It was in Chile. I was flying to Santiago and then like to the beach. And then from there, they were like picking us up and we went one and a half hours into the mountains in this like sanctuary from the Four Winds Society. It was phenomenal. Like it was and a really great experience. Tell us about the draw. Like what, what compelled you? What made that feel like I have to go do this? It's very difficult to say. And like, I think it's something about like my mind. And now I know about like um, ADHD to like a certain extent, right? Like that I, that I, I'm very interested in something and then like it takes me two days and in two days I read five books and I read like a hundred blog posts and I did a lot of research and I'm really in the zone and then I have to do it and then like after a pretty short amount of time I say okay that was great and that might have been very beneficial for my life but for example I'm not practicing it anymore like we learned a lot of things there like even how to start your day right like these pre- um pre-work day routines right i think like routines is what it really comes like that's what separates the most successful people from like everyone else right the routines that you have in place and like we learned a lot of great things there from like breath work to like stretching to mindfulness right to like resetting your mind and unfortunately i'm not i'm not incorporating it into my daily life like i do it here and there but not at like the same time every day and like this is uh something what I want to improve all the time, but uh, it's very difficult. No, I can understand. There's no reason for not doing it. 
Well, it's a, you know, uh, adopting a and process. Behavior. Exactly. It takes time. Yeah, right. People say that you have to do it like continuously or consecutively for 40 days. Yeah. Right. And then it's like part of your behavior. Unfortunately, like I couldn't make that happen yet. Yet. So I read, yeah. like, Let's go back a little bit because after, um, uh, you had the, uh, the pop Molly situation and the golf course experience, uh, you moved to Dubai for a while. Yeah, like even I moved to Dubai beginning of 2014. But in 2013, with a friend um, that uh, that I met in Dubai, we got into the wellness industry. That was like a time where I actually saw these cryo chambers, these freezing chambers in Los Angeles, like through my roommate at that time, I got introduced to a German family. They were in this business, like I checked it out. and was phenomenal, like people were lining up outside. Like at that point, they didn't have a lot of marketing. They didn't have a lot of branding. It was like three minutes at minus 240 degrees, right? Where you would say, who can be so stupid doing that? And who can be even more stupid to pay for it? <laughs> yeah. But that's just the common sense. As soon as you tried it out, like it's phenomenal. It gives you like an energy boost and like a mental clarity that's really second to none. I said, wow, that's an interesting business. And like, I just wanted to like introduce the guys to the guys in Dubai, just be like a middleman. But then there was like a lot of differentiation and like pricing and setup and so forth. And like, we said, okay, like, let's do it on our own. And that like kind of like grew steadily in Dubai. And then beginning of 2014, I said, okay, like, let me move to Dubai. Let's really push that. And then we started with like retail and build a couple of retail locations vertically integrated that with like service as it works with like liquefied gases. We founded a service company. It wasn't only servicing our cryo businesses or franchisees or like private people at the, 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 the chamber at home, but also like uh, blood plasma freezing and hospitals and bars and nightclubs and so forth. Then like a little bit later, we um, set up our own manufacturing we're always a very data-driven company and like we knew what our clients were looking for and what they wanted to have and what they didn't like and uh, then we basically had the full vertical integration of like retail service and uh, manufacturing and research and development yeah and, no, it's, yeah it's, t tell us a little bit more on that manufacturing side because it's a great story about uh, the time you spent in poland and uh, the, the manufacturer you set up there <coughs> Excuse me, no Corona. Um, <laughs> I, I tested negatively, like, uh, but no antibodies, unfortunately. Uh, um, like, basically, this business started in Poland. As Poland is very big, even though it's a cold country, yeah, but like Poland and cryotherapy somehow goes hand in hand. And before we started the retail concept, we were there, we were looking at equipment. The equipment was like on a pretty low, like, quality level. And like a lot of wood was still used and so forth. And we took these chambers, but we were running into many problems. And then <clears throat> we wanted to get into basically developing our own chamber. We went like to the market leader or to one of the market leaders at that time and said, okay, guys, like this is what we want. Can you make this chamber? And they said, yeah, that's not a problem at all. One million euros. And then we had a guy that was running the service company and said, guys, for like a million euros, like let's take a quarter of that money and set up our own manufacturing shop and like take their best engineers and employees and just develop our own product. 
like that's that's what happened that's what we did at that time and uh, yeah to a certain level that worked out great to a certain level it didn't but uh, I think it was a bold move and uh, something I always like to look back to yeah absolutely well share with us how it didn't work out so great because it seems like a brilliant move I mean the move was great and I think the company is doing very good um, I think what is a problem in the company is um, like cultural differences and differences in like ideas and mindsets and strategies and ways of communication um, all the way up to this handshake example what I had our company we have a lot of like different uh, nationalities and and everything but to me, it's like something else of like uh, a lot of different nationalities come to, let's say, Los Angeles and are kind of like building an American company or like when you're having a company in an off zone, um, offshore zone in Dubai and you have people that are like living and operating out of like different cultural zones, right? Like that made it a little bit difficult. Like we're running into a lot of like internal issues and then at one point, like I uh, pulled the plug, yep. like I sold my my interest in the company, right. and I'm actually happy about that. Like that was a good move. It was yeah. we we move forward from there, and we we learn that. So so all these lessons, you know, are 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 learnings we have to go through, teachings we have to experience in order to to get it just right. Isn't that the truth? <laughs> <laughs> um, Last, uh, so you've come back to Germany the last two years. After you came back from South America, share with us how you've been spending your time, what ideas you've been pursuing. By the end of the day, to also talk about something negative, right? Like what I think is interesting about all these, about all these things and like all these different experiences. Like everything sounds interesting when we talk about this, right? And like a different business here and like fashion there and wellness there and like tech there and shamanic experience there. But like people that became really successful, right? They were going for one thing, right? And like they said, okay, like I'm focusing on one single thing and I'm gonna execute on it and I don't care what other people tell me and what other people think and if there's a wall and how high this wall is and I'm really gonna push through this wall for like the next 10 years, mm -hmm. right? Like this is really success. And then like afterwards, a lot of people say, oh, like this is this overnight success, but it actually took like 10 years to really get there, right? And like, that's one of the things that I probably um, dislike most about like my last 15 years in my life that yes, I had like a lot of experiences, but there wasn't like enough focus on like one single thing because there was always like something interesting coming up, also like something else, also like other interests. And I think, I mean, now I understand from like psychological perspective that this is just how my brain works. But I think to really become successful, right? Like you have to conquer, you have to conquer these weaknesses and understand yourself and just have to push. And uh, it's still, high on my agenda I see <laughs> well I think you're being a little too hard on yourself I think that um, you know uh, our tagline for this podcast is mining the nonlinear path 
And I think that's the experience for most entrepreneurs. It's nonlinear. We try something, it doesn't work. The smart ones, we know when to stop. And you've shared many stories where you've known when to stop. So as I've known you, Kai, you've always thrown yourself 100% into everything you're doing. Um, we just, you just need to find the right platform that um, will, will work and you get the right feedback that it's working. And then you'll know if this is the one to spend 10 years of full focus. And you just, you haven't come across it yet. That's all. Yeah, that's right. But like something else I would like to talk about, because I think it's like a good fit for, for like this podcast. And there's also like part of like the shamanic training or like the spirituality part of it and like the mindset part, what I got into. I think like the people that you meet and everybody talks about that is always like a reflection of yourself. Right. And I think that's very important for like every entrepreneur, every person that is listening and like thinking about new ideas. Like when I came to Los Angeles, like I wanted to make money. Right. Like I didn't care if it's like in fashion or if it's like in tech, like I wanted to be successful. I wanted to make money in like a very fast way. So who are the people that I met? People who want to make money in a fast way, right? Are people that just want to make money in a fast way, the people you really want to put all your eggs in a basket with? Absolutely not. You were involved in a project during this pandemic. Um, and I'd like for you to share about that. Um, yeah, beginning of the year, like we went back into the fashion business. Yeah, like I was in China two times beginning of the year. Like we're talking to different mills, to like our Chinese partner there. And we really want to dive into the fast fashion. Yeah, let's say like an H&M with like a new positioning, um, cheap, fast, um, one collection per month. And I like this whole Corona started. I'll never forget, like, I was actually in China when, like, these numbers, like, slowly started to rise and people said, oh, my God, what is going on? And then I said, okay, like, you're an entrepreneur. This really sucks. But every YouTube video that you look at and every podcast that you hear says, like, it's not about, like, falling. It's about getting up. So, like, I rerouted everything to Italy. Yeah, and like I talked to people there and I worked day and night and like, and we had everything in Italy and then like Italy shut down <laughs> and I said, this is, this is just phenomenal, right? Like how much luck can one person have? And like, as I've already built the team beginning of the year is we wanted to launch like a full fashion company bit of April. Like we were pretty aggressive in like hiring really great expensive talent. And that was pale talent was obviously on the payroll. And I said, shit, like, what can we do? And like, we pulled a little task force together and like wrote a book about Corona from a scientific perspective, because there were so many informations about Corona, like who knows what was actually true and what wasn't true and what was exaggerated. So like we, really took a great American professor and like a great nutritionist and took a, took a deep dive at it. Where does it probably come from? Like, what's the, uh, how dangerous is it actually? And then like all the way up to what to do when you're pregnant with Corona to protect your unborn child, what to do with your little kids, right? All these things. And then we turned that into an online class. So like I got a phenomenal camera crew. They came to my place. And like we really shot a great 
15, 16 lesson online class. Like very high level production. They cut it. It looked beautiful. So like we started and said, okay, like the book market without knowing the exact number, let's say 95% is Amazon. So like, I'll never forget, like I had the PDF or like the Kindle publishing application online, like on my computer and like I uploaded it and I cracked the beer and I said, wow, now you're like published, published author with like a lot of ghost writers. And like a day later it got declined. Oh said, no. It's impossible. Like what is happening because we fulfilled and we took a lot of time to like really look at the guidelines from the Kindle publishing. And then like we found out that there were just, that there was so much content and so many books trying to be published about the Corona topic that Amazon just said, like, we can't do the quality control of that. And we don't want to guide or steer people in the wrong direction. Wow. Right. And like that really like broke my neck to a certain extent, but nevertheless, like we, created a whole website for the online class and uh, had our own website where we were like uploading the book and you could like purchase the book and you could purchase the video class. And like we linked it with uh, teachable.com, but it was our native website. And then we're getting into like the advertisement on social media, right? And uh, Google AdWords. And then we run into this, ran into the same problem that these companies of Google or Facebook weren't really supportive of anything around Corona for the same reason as they didn't want to steer people in the wrong direction and be this like giant company that's just monetizing other people's anxiety and fears. So like to talk, to take the victim mentality here right now that you should obviously never take in life. But I said, okay, like we got screwed by the coronavirus, We got back up. We got screwed by Italy. Like we, got back up, we wrote a book, it got declined from Amazon, we got back up, we published the video, we got back up. And then I really said, okay, like, I need, I need like a timeout right now. And now looking backwards, I should have uploaded on YouTube, right? Like, uh, send it to people, like maybe just via iMessage and WhatsApp, like the book could have been sent around and maybe many people could have benefited from it. But my spirit at that point was just broken, right? Like I said, this is impossible. Like I had 10 days at home where I had like a bottle of Campari a day and like a lot of Nutella. And then after 10 days, I said, okay, that's not like the life. And then really got back into like working out, doing sport, getting up at six in the morning, trying to stick to the routines as much as I can, read a book a day and then really dived into these like basics, what I was talking about uh, earlier in the podcast like how to think and now like business is slowly picking up and um yeah looking backwards i mean i think there's uh i mean there's only one way to live life and that's to see the positive after reading this great book about gratitude like show gratitude that really made my life much more enjoyable and turned me into a much happier person that i am today so be What's what's be grat gratitude? What's the word? Be grateful, gracious, grateful, yeah, grateful, yeah. Uh, grateful what, people. That's what it's all about. 
you, you certainly are adapting and showing all of that um, resilience um, that you talked about earlier, because uh, one of the first things you highlighted was this idea. It's not, not how many times you fall off the bike or the horse. It's how many times you get back up. So many people can identify with uh, the, the, the obstacles that you faced, but uh, you're doing absolutely the right thing. And you know, your orientation and disposition throughout this call has been one of, uh, of, of, of alacrity, of, of being positive and thoughtful and, and not saying, oh, all these negative things happened and so I hate the world. Thank you. I appreciate that, Asim. Like a phenomenal time. Thank you so much for uh, having me on the podcast. Thank you so much for joining. I appreciate it. it. Achieve is recorded at Subtractive and Hangar 8 at the Santa Monica Airport. Music is produced by Hennedy.